Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. So part of that video was funny. This little girl came up to me and there was a day that there's a big event called OMC, but they do it at every, basically every Thursday of this particular kids camp we went to and the kids love it. But I was way too clean, and this little girl came up to me with shaving cream. Just I don't even know where she got it from. And she just started putting stuff all over my face and all over me. And then this woman walked up, very concerned. She said, she said uh, are you from such and such church in Tennessee? I was like, no. Are you from Tennessee? No. Do you know this little girl? No. Like, I had no idea. She's like, oh, okay. She just had a troubled look, and she grabbed that little girl and pulled her off to the side. I was like, whatever. Hey, I'm in it for the long haul. We're, we're just having fun. So it was great. It, it really was. And we do want to say thank you for just allowing us and trusting us with your kids and just for praying for us. It was an amazing event, and everything about it was great. The kids learned a lot about Jesus, a lot about how the Lord sees, sees things differently than what we see and how we should respond to that. So um, God's doing amazing things in our kids' ministry, and I'm thankful for it. Well, this morning, we're going to continue in Matthew 6 in our series called Moving Mountains. And as we jump into Matthew 6, starting in verse 9 and 10, we're just going to continue really in a discussion that we've been having for several weeks. We're going to pause next week for Father's Day, and then we're going to jump back into this series. There's so much here, and, and I know that there's so much that, that we're asking and, and believing God for and just moving mountains and and I see it, I hear the stories, I have my own, um, just kind of asking God for things, petitioning God for things. And we're going to see today some very specific things about this prayer that Jesus says is what we call in the model prayer, but Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, we being his disciples too. But what we're going to see ultimately is, and, and not in a way that we can manipulate God because we can't, but what we're going to see today is how to unlock the power of heaven in your life. How to unlock the power of heaven in your life. And Jesus has a very specific way of which he addresses this, and we're going to spend some time on it this morning. If you're ready, say, I am. All right, if you're not ready, say, good, don't. Verse 9 says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In week one, we talked about how we have a Father in heaven, and if you are a child of God, that means you've given your life to Christ. That means that you're indeed saved, that you're born again in some, some specific uh, religious circles, denominational circles, they just use the term born again. And so you have the Holy Spirit within you. You are a child of God. If you're a child of God, that means also that you have access to the power of God because you're a child of the king. Are you tracking with me so far? Good. Good enough for me. I'm moving on. So the second thing was, last week, we talked about how it be your name, and we talked about how that can be very complicated for some people, but hopefully I made it to, uh, made it, put it in a, in a level where you'll understand it, that it's, it's not something that is, something we're just supposed to dismiss, but really we can get into. And this morning... We're going to take apart your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we're going to do is we're going to mix the idea of 
salvation and submission, that they ultimately are the keys that unlock the power of God in your life. So salvation and submission unlock the, the power of God in your life. First thing, if you're taking notes, is your kingdom come. I love this topic, the topic of the kingdom of God. It's, it's all over Jesus' teaching, and yet many of us have no idea even what it even means. So we look at, many times we look at anything in the scripture where it says the power, or excuse me, the kingdom of heaven or the, or the, the, or the kingdom of God, and we think, oh, okay, that's just heaven. But sometimes it refers to heaven, and sometimes it refers to what happens in heaven can be Um, a part of our lives here on earth. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's not just, well, we just wait for the kingdom of heaven. We just wait for heaven. Instead, it's we have access, divine access, through salvation and submission to unlock the power of God, the, the keys of heaven, down here on earth. And this is what Jesus invites us to pray. So let's dig into this idea of your kingdom come. John Calvin, when he's making a reference, or he's in his commentary about this particular passage, he says this, and this is actually on your info card. The substance of this prayer is that God would enlighten the world by the light of his word. It would form the hearts of men by the influences of his spirit to obey his justice and would restore to order by the gracious exercise of his power all the disorder that exists in your or in the world, in your world. And how do we do this? Jesus offers us a pathway. And he says, as part of his, his model prayer, or the prayer by which that we can use as a model for our own prayer life, he says, your kingdom come. You see, Christians aren't to build their own personal kingdoms and empires and platforms. Christians are to be salt and light. Christians, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, if we've been given influence in the world... We're to use that influence to expand the kingdom of God around us and through us. It doesn't mean that you can't have a successful business. It doesn't mean that you can't run for public office. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue levels of influence in your life. You can and you should. And to do those things and to use your God-given influence to be salt and light in the places that God brings you. It doesn't mean that Christians need to live in in a state of retreat. It's the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing when people take up of the banner and cross of Jesus Christ, accepting that Jesus is the Lord and submitting themselves to him. Then the kingdom of God is present in that that person's life, no matter what they do as a profession or no matter what influence they have. And we, we all have different spheres of influence. All of those are given by God for his good reason and his good purpose to bring good into the world, and to glorify him in all that we do. So, your kingdom come is is not uh, just this this thing that's irrelevant to our life. Instead, it's it's a matter of, of inviting the power of God and the kingdom of God into our life to be used through the spheres of our influence. Notice that Jesus does not request that we pray to God to become king over creation. Because he already is king over creation. He's already sovereign over all of creation. It isn't that we, that, that we live in a, in a state of perpetual defeat like, I just wish God was on the throne. No, church, he is on the throne. 
He is sovereign over everything that's going on in creation. Though it may look, if you flip through the, through the news, or if you may flip through your social media feeds, or if you dare to go on Twitter, or you dare to go on Facebook, and you dare to read the headlines, they are, are spreading a message of chaos and defeat. But that is not who we are if we're in Christ, because Christ is victorious, and He is sustaining everything. He has dominion over things in the world. And yet, God's kingdom is evident anywhere people do His revealed will. This is the key. God's kingdom is evident anywhere people do His revealed will. So anytime someone is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus after salvation and continual submission to God's will, the kingdom of God is present in their life, and that person, man or woman, boy or girl, has access to the power of heaven in their life. I'll put it in the the most simplest terms that I can. God is currently in charge, and he always has been, and he always will be. That's a lot of theology there, but it's, it's put in language that we all can understand. I'll say it in a different way. The kingdom of God is is the domain, is the domain where God rules as king. What can be complicated about this idea about your kingdom come is not the understanding of it in in the way that I'm going to present it, but what can be complicated is you can accept Jesus to be Lord of your life in one area and be totally negligent in another. You can operate as Jesus. You are the Lord of my, of my marriage. You're the Lord of my kids. You're the Lord of this, but yet you can be completely negligent when it comes to your finances. Or you can give a tenth and you can give the faith promise missions and you can do all of those things and praise God for you doing those things and being obedient, and yet you cannot accept Jesus as being and submit to Jesus' lordship over your marriage or the way that your kids are supposed to be raised. Or if you're grandparents and you're raising your grandkids in the way that you're supposed to be raising your grandkids. You see, that's what's really tricky about this because you can have Jesus and you can say, yes, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, but we can have these little caveats of our life by which we are not accepting Jesus as to be the Lord. And we can try to be the Lord. We can try to be the sustainer and creator of our own universes, even within our life. And the kingdom of God is, is such that if we want to access the power of heaven, we first have to be saved from our sins, and we have to surrender to God's will. John Stott, pastor and theologian, said this about your kingdom come. He said, the kingdom of God is his royal rule. Again, as he is already holy, so he is already king. Reigning is absolute sovereignty over both nature and history. Yet when Jesus came and he announced a new and special break-in to the kingly rule of God, with all the blessings of salvation and the demands of, of submission, which the divine rule implies, to pray that his kingdom may come is to pray both that it may grow, as though the church's witness people submit to Jesus, that soon it will be brought fully when Jesus returns in glory to take his power and reign. Salvation and submission go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. When Jesus, if you, if you have given your life to Jesus and you've asked Jesus to save you, the only befitting thing to do in accordance with 
Romans 10, 9 and 10 is this. Not only is Jesus saving you from your sin, but you're also submitting to him as his being the Lord of your life. It isn't just, well, now you've saved me from my sin, and now I get to run my life in the way that I want to. If that's what you thought salvation is, you have a real problem with your idea of salvation. Because the only way Jesus saves his soul is if you give your whole life to Jesus and he saves you, of your, of your, uh, saves you from the sin and damnation that you deserve because of your sins, because the nature that you were born into, that all humans were born into. But when we repent, we turn away from those sins. We also turn away from the corrupted way of life that we used to live when we were in sin. And when we turn away in repentance, we're turning away from that old way, and now we're trusting that he, that his way is better, and we're saying, Jesus, you are Lord. So we submit to his lordship. The kingdom of God was central to the preaching of Jesus and the apostles. I have a couple passages. They will not be on the screen. If you want to jot these references down, you can. Luke 8, 1 says this, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Matthew 24, 14 is another reference, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come, he says. This is continuing on, not Jesus' ministry, but the Apostle Paul's ministry. Uh, It's about him specifically, boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the kingdom of God has come in Christ and it is present today. It's not something we're waiting for when Jesus brings about the fulfillment of all things And then we're released to be in heaven, and then we get to experience the kingdom of God. We get to experience the blessing when we live in the Spirit of God. We get to be about the kingdom of God here on earth. Another passage that speaks into this, Matthew 3, 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, they're used synonymously in the Gospels. Verse 3 says this, This is he who has spoken of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John the Baptist, his message was about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and his ministry was pointing to Jesus who would bring about the power of God in people's lives after salvation and submission to him. This is what Jesus was preaching in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's all over the New Testament. And many of us have missed it. Maybe because we didn't understand it. Maybe because we just, we kind of wrapped this up into, well, here's another complicated thing that Jesus said that I don't understand. And yet, if we get it right, is I want us to get it right then we can actually pray prayers that are powerful in Jesus' name. That are powerful. When asked about the kingdom of, the kingdom of God, Jesus responded in this way in Matthew 13. I'll flip there. You can if you'd like. So Luke 13, 18 through 21 says this. When asked about the kingdom of God, 
Jesus asked them, he says, what is, the kingdom, uh, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to, Jesus says? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, this is Jesus, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus is, is saying the kingdom of God is something that expands in our life when we, when we submit to his lordship. It grows and it expands and it moves. And, and when a, a person submits to the lordship of Jesus, it's actually a blessing to other people. Because it's the kingdom of God then is present in that person's life as they're then becoming salt and light. When Jesus was discussing some divided kingdoms, go back probably one page, in Luke 11, Jesus said this, starting in verse 17 of Luke 11 through verse 20. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drove out demons by Beelzebub. But if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive, out, drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out the demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus is, is narrating this passage and he's trying to correct some corrupted thoughts and what he's He's saying is that, that your life should be founded upon, it's either going to be founded upon the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self and the dominion of darkness. That's period. That's just what it's going to be upon. Like there's, there's not like another little caveat. It's like this is, this is someone's life. And he begins his passage. He says, and if you, if you claim to be one thing and yet you're living another, that kingdom will fall. So we can claim that, yes, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. I gave my life to Jesus when I was seven, and it was a vacation Bible school, and it was amazing, and I got candy afterward. And on Sunday, I went forward, and everybody clapped, and it was great. And my grandmama cried, and my, my mom and dad were so happy, and then I got baptized, and it was just awesome. And yet, if that person, even as a child, has not lived a changed life, same thing could be said about an adult. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, may not be present in that person's life, and they simply could have gone through the motions, and you can live your whole life with the myth of thinking you're saved and you're not. That should cause concern for everyone who calls, who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. That should bring about a sense of humility for all of us to go before God on a daily basis, not to verify our salvation, but to submit to His Lordship and to give thanks for the life that He's given us. That also is a reason why we should be in community with other people because other people help verify the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's the reason why when a person get saved and they commit their life to Jesus, this isn't some solo endeavor with you and God. God automatically invites you into community because we started the series with Our Father in Heaven. 
the plural, our Father, not my Father in heaven. It's our Father in heaven. Because when a person gets saved, God automatically puts them part as the family of God. And then we have brothers and sisters around us who are shaping us and molding us in Jesus' name to, to follow him. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to conjure up doubt in your mind. The world does enough of that. But I'm trying to bring the sober reality that we have to choose to put Jesus first. We have to choose to, to put Jesus as the Lord of our life. You see, it's with the surrendered will to God that the kingdom of God comes with power. It's with the surrendered will to God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew 9, or excuse me, Mark 9, 1 says this, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus. He says, some, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Every Christian has been equipped and empowered by God's spirit. Every Christian has already been gifted and they already have access to everything they will ever have access to. We've been authorized. When we pray in accordance with the will of God and not our own will, and we live in submission to God after salvation, giving our lives over to Jesus, in that moment, we already have access to every spiritual blessing. We've been authorized to use it. We just have to use it. We just have to, to not live our own lives empowered by ourselves, but we have to choose a willful submission of our own will to God's will to be empowered by His Spirit. This is where many of us go wrong. And yet, if you don't know the person of Jesus, you won't have access to the power of God. So if you don't know the person of Jesus, you don't have access to the power of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We're nothing without it. I'll illustrate it in this way. Anyone who's ever gone to a concert, you know some element of what I'm getting ready to talk about. Years ago, uh, our, our daughter, Gracie, she lives in Georgia. She goes to college in Georgia. She... Uh, she and I went to a concert, and we had already bought the tickets, and I think it was for a birthday, but I'm not really sure, and it was just, it was a great thing, just two tickets, it was in Atlanta, we had planned a, a big day, leaving, driving the two, two and a half hours into Atlanta, going to the concert, having a, having a meal together, just having some fun, and, and we had all these things set in motion, but what we didn't have set in motion is that I would actually break my foot at a youth event prior to that, that we didn't have in motion. And so what happened after I broke my foot and had to have a surgery, see, I'm all into ministry, by the way. It was a youth event, like I was all into it. I have a whole different appreciation for the, for the uh, trampoline parks, I'm just saying, a whole other appreciation or depreciation, I guess you could say. But I broke my foot at that event, and, 
and we'd are, you know, so the concert's already happening, and like, how are you going to turn back? How are you going to turn that back? So we're going to do it, and we thought, okay, I'm just all in. Broken foot. Thankfully, I wasn't on crutches. I hated walking on crutches. I had one of those little carts. It was funny walking, seeing me go through Walmart. I, like my little knee up on a little cart, and I'd kick it through. We, we had some fun with it, but what was not fun is the day of the concert, this venue was, uh, was a gigantic building, and it was actually three venues built into one building. So it was a very large building. And to get into the venue we were at, there were a large amount of steps going into the venue. I didn't see any way that I could get in there. there I didn't see like a handicap accessible place. There was no shame in my game. I would have used it if I saw it. I didn't. Instead, I had to, to enter this place. I had to carry the little cart thing with one hand, and I hopped on one leg all the way up those steps into the venue. I love my daughter. I'm just saying I do. I do. I love her. And so we're in there, and, and it was... It, be honest with you, it was a great concert. It was really awkward because there were also no seats. It was standing room only. So that was something I didn't expect either. And so I'm, I'm standing there slash leaning on this little scooter thing, like front row, you know, like we're in it. You know, it was weird, but it just was. But the way I got into that concert is the way that you always get into a concert if you've ever gone into a concert or a venue, right? You, you buy a ticket. And then because you have that, you've purchased that ticket, you can go up to the person who's in charge of letting you in and you show them that ticket and that grants you access into that space. But it's limited access, is it not? Because once the concert's over, and before they shut out the lights, they expect you to go home. If not, some nice people in uniforms are going to take you somewhere that's probably not home. You know what I mean? You have limited access, but you've been given access because you bought a ticket to get into that place. You and I, when we give our lives to Jesus, we, we admit that we're sinners, and, and we ask him and just say, Jesus, I, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be the Lord of my life. We have access into the kingdom of God, and we're authorized to pray prayers like your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So with that access comes authorization when we pray and ask things in Jesus' name. So several months ago, I asked several of our missionaries for stories, just compelling stories about how God's moving in their ministry, what God has done. And um, we, we believe in missions. We support several missions. We're about midway into our, our pledge for missions. We had a, it just takes one campaign at the end of last year, in November of last year. And you just pledged to give and you've been so faithful in giving. And I want to tell you this story because this also is just a, you know, just a, as a blessing to hear as to what God is doing um, because people are off doing ministry because we're faithful in our giving. So this is uh, the message I got from uh, some of our missionaries we've had for a long time. Uh, Adolfa Ruesca, they formerly were our missionaries to Mexico, and now they moved to Spain, and you'll hear part of the story. Adolfa wrote this. He says, back in 2008, we moved to Mexico. We didn't know one person. There was no existing church. There was nothing but a crazy young family that heard God's calling 
to plant a church. So we did, and we moved, and it was a very hard time in our lives. We had just gone through some, some family problems, and yet we knew that we had to go. So we started praying and praying, saying, God, you brought us here. We don't know how to do it, but we want to be obedient with what you want us to do. They were asking God, please make it happen. The story continues. He says, fast forward 10 years. In 2018, God called us again to move from that place in Mexico to Spain to do the same thing. Same situation. Didn't know anyone in Spain, but again, yes, Lord, let's do this, they said. The message continues. He says, we've been in Spain three years, and listen, and no one has gotten saved, but we're 100% sure that it will happen. Why? Because we've seen it before in Mexico. He says, it, it was not Mexico. It was not us. It was God answering prayers. And Adolphus says this, when we pray according to God's will, it will happen. So by what are they, they facing or basing their faith and their belief on about what God's going to do in Spain now? Because these are some things that, that he did in Mexico. So here it is, what happened in Mexico. God did it. Lafay Baptist Church was started in January 2009 in my living room, Adolphus says, with just a few people. Thousands of people have gotten saved there. Hundreds have been discipled one by one. Disciples making disciples. Hundreds have been baptized. Several have been ordained as pastors. Another church was started under that church. Kids clubs have started. Feeding centers have started. That church has supported missionaries on the base of, of, uh, on a monthly basis since day one and continues to support more missionaries today. Adolphus says that church is self-sufficient. That church is self-supported. That church has an awesome testimony in that city. And he says, many have been called to ministry from there. Several have been sent to work in other churches and plant other churches. And Adolphus says, and I echo it with a, a hearty amen. He said, who did that? God did. It's because they were praying prayers of not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So they obeyed. God moved and they're still basing what they're doing now, although three years of no salvations, but yet they've seen God move, and they're trusting that he will. You see, every, every person who submits to the lordship of Jesus, irregardless of the worldly results, is a success story. Irregardless of results is a success story. Praying in the name of Jesus, it must be motivated by the will of God or heaven will not touch earth. I found something interesting in my study, and it was based off of Romans 12, 2. This will be on the screen, talking about God's will. The Apostle Paul wrote this in a very famous passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The latter part of verse 2 says this, Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Many people ask the question, what is God's will? I want to break it down into three different ways. These are not my ideas or things that I found through study. There's three different types of, of wills of God. The first one is the decretive will of God. And a decretive will of God refers to God's sovereign decrees that cannot be resisted or changed. 
These are things that God set in motion that will happen regardless of what else is going on in the world. You see this with God moving in the hearts of pagan uh, rulers and kings in the Old Testament. You see God moving in that, on that behalf, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, it, what, with what we pray, God has decreed it, it's going to happen because He is sovereign and Lord over all creation. There's the preceptive will of God. This has to do with, with what God de- commands in the Scriptures, what God commands of his kids in the scriptures. So think of precepts, his commands, his instructions. There's the dispositional will that refers to the things that pleases the heart of God. The things that please the heart of God. And one of the things that pleases the heart of God is when his kids submit to him and they don't fight him. They don't fight his will, but they submit to his will. And another thing that pleases God is when his kids talk to him in prayer. I want to end with this passage of scripture from John 14. Because this too talks about praying in the name of Jesus and talks about the power by which we can do it. And it brings together the idea of having access to the power of God and being authorized to use it. John 14, verse 12 through 14 says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Does this mean that Jesus is some sort of cosmic concierge? Like, Jesus, could you just pull the car around? It's raining. I don't want to... Could you just pull the car around? I don't want to have to walk to the other end of the parking lot. Does that mean that he's going to submit to our will? Of course not. Does that mean that that Jesus is always going to change the course of history because we have a whim and wish in the moment? Of course not. But what this does mean is those of us who've asked Jesus to save us from our sins and we've acknowledged and accepted Jesus to be the Lord, guide, and sovereign ruler of our lives, it's those people Jesus says, can pray in his name and in accordance with his will, and he will do it. Well, how can we trust that that will happen? It's because when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're submitted to his will. So even if there's a desire that we have that goes unmet, we can accept it as being from God himself because we've already told him and accepted him to be the Lord of all of our outcomes. God wants to do incredible things in your life. I'm convinced of it. Brothers, sisters, we've been given divine access to the power of God. 
And it is high time that we use it. It is high time to use the influence that we've been given, not to build up our little pithy platforms and create our own little small dominions, but to go before the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, God, I give you all that I am because of who you are. I invite you to stand. You know, every time the word of God is preached, there's, there's an opportunity to respond. And not everybody will respond in the same way. Sometimes we're, we respond in the way that we're going to respond today. We're going to sing this song of just praise back to God, some of us, and that's how we're going to respond to the word of God. And yes, some of us are going to respond maybe just by praying quietly in their seat. And then others... Maybe you have to delay your response until you get out of this room because God is stirring something in you to do. Maybe it has to do with a relationship outside of this room. And yet there are also divine moments where God moves in someone's heart where the only response can be coming forward. We all have a response. I don't know what yours is going to be, but I would just implore you to be obedient with it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you have done today and what you will do. And God, you're so faithful to your word. And Lord, we're just people, simple, sometimes stubborn people. Holy Spirit, help us not to resist the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit, but help us to live in the flow of the Spirit. Help us to be people who who pray prayers that are bold prayers because we've been given access to the power of God and we've been authorized to use it. Help us, Jesus, to to maintain the faith that we need to continue to pray those mountain-moving prayers. We pray in Jesus' holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen.